I'm happy to tell you that the Sheila Story's full collection is now available as a novel on Amazon. To find the book, go to your Amazon marketplace and type The Sheila Stories by Patrick Kelly into the search bar. Welcome to The Sheila Stories, which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, I'd suggest you go back to episode one, where you will learn how my second cousin, Thomas Kelly IV, came to tell me these stories. And for everyone else, just to get us all back up to speed, in our last episode, we heard the story Honor Ride, in which World War II ended with the surrender of Japan. And Sheila became engaged to Jesse Flynn and agreed to move with him to America. At the end of the story, the narrator's daughter, April, wanted to hear more stories. She wanted to know what happened to Sheila in America. But Thomas, her father, couldn't tell April those stories because he'd never heard them himself. But he does know someone who can tell him about what happened to Sheila when she came to America in 1945. In this episode, we will hear the story Rittner's Street, in which Sheila will struggle with adjusting to life in America. Part 3 America. I miss her. I sit on the bench and stare at the river. The girls are off on play dates at two different homes. I've finished my work list for the day, mowed and edged the lawn, weeded the flower beds, and touched up some paint on the porch. I don't sit on the porch much anymore because I miss her. I miss watching her fold clothes in the laundry room. I miss her whistling in the kitchen as she whips up wondrous desserts. I miss her laughing with the girls at the funny parts of a story. Every time I sit here, even if there's scarcely a puff of wind, I look for the windsurfer, but she's never returned. Although I have a lonely heart, my mind is calm. Sending Chris away with unmet expectations was difficult, but I made the right decision. I have children to raise and a vow to keep. Still, I have to ask myself, why haven't I put the apartment back on Craigslist? A month has gone by. I'll do it tomorrow, the next day at the latest. At least I have the Sheila stories. I secretly arranged simultaneous sleepovers that allowed me sufficient free time to do the research. It took a month, And in the intervening time, Natalie has been patient. Perhaps she realizes I've had to scramble for content. On the other hand, April has rushed me. Every night, after I have retold yet another of the stories, she has reminded me of the loose ends I left dangling in Australia. What happens next? Does she make it to Philadelphia? Hang in there, sweetheart. Soon. Soon. And now, finally, I'm ready. I have all the facts. I know the twists and turns. But the second half of a life is never as good as the first, which concerns me. 
Will the stories continue to spark the girls' imaginations? Will they hold the same magic? Rittner Street. They were having a party in the small kitchen of the row house on Rittner Street. Four women, including Sheila, sat at a round table. Four men leaned against the counter. Tommy Flynn, Jesse's cousin, opened the window above the sink to put a dent in the cigarette smoke. Tommy's wife, Helen, was seven months pregnant with their first child. Can I have a sip? she asked Maureen. Maureen's beer was half full. I thought you weren't drinking. I'm not. I just want to see what it tastes like. It's been so long. Sure. Helen lifted the glass, took her sip, and made a face. It's funny. I've lost my taste for it with the pregnancy. B nodded. The same thing happened to me when I was pregnant with Bridget. I couldn't drink a drop. Tasted awful. No one called her Beatrice. She was the tallest of the women, nearly six feet. With thick hair, she wore up. She could have been a magazine model or an actress. Maureen and B were Flynn's originally, but had different Irish surnames now. Sheila and Helen had married into the family. Frank Burke, B's husband, stood next to Tommy and waved his hands as he told a story. Helen said, You think you and Jesse will have kids? Like many of those in the neighborhood, Helen had a pug nose and fair skin. Sheila answered, Jesse wants to wait until he's settled in with his job. Uh-huh, said B. But I'll turn 30 soon, so I feel a sense of urgency. It's not always about what the man wants, said Maureen, with a certain amount of attitude. She sat tall in the chair. Women have had the right to vote for a long time. B nodded. Jesse's always had dreams. He was going to sail around the world. Then it was mountain climbing. Now he wants to write a novel. He had wanted to write a novel. And when they first married, he'd worked on it now and then. But the intervals between writing sessions had grown longer. He hadn't written a word the last few months. Helen rubbed her stomach. She eyed Bee's cigarette like she wanted to try smoking, too. There's nothing like a baby to knock some sense into a man, said Maureen. It makes them think about all those years of another mouth to feed, and then they get serious. Jack works his ass off at the yard. Next year he'll be up for supervisor. What are you girls talking about over there, said Frank. You have that conspiracy look, like you might gang up on us. Don't worry about our conversation, said B with mock anger. You men go on babbling about the Phillies or some such BS. The men laughed. Jesse's eyes questioned her. Was she okay? He was good about that, always checking up on her. Outsiders had a tough time fitting into a Flynn family gathering. So much history, so many traditions and relatives. It was hard enough to assimilate into American culture, let alone South Phillies. The men had all attended the same Catholic schools as boys and everyone in the kitchen went to the same church, except for her and Jesse, who didn't attend church at all.
They had already celebrated their first anniversary, but she still felt like a newcomer. A short while later, Jessie touched her arm and suggested they step into the alley. The muggy air hit her face and neck as soon as she cleared the door. Dim lights shone from windows and back doors. A cat scooted down the alley. She stood on the concrete at the bottom of the stairs and took a deep breath. Great idea, she said. My eyes were starting to sting. Put a few smokers in a small room and it gets hazy quick, he said. Neither she nor Jessie smoked and she was glad of it. She'd still have to wash their clothes to rid them of the smell. Anything interesting in the ladies' conversation, he said. Before answering, she studied the shadows to make sure they were alone. Well, the topic of children came up again. I wish they wouldn't pry, he said. It's none of their business. No one was mean or anything. They're curious. You know, Helen and Tommy are having their first. Yeah, he said. Every veteran is getting married and having kids. Nothing wrong with that, she said. Sure, but I want to save some money first. I have plenty of money. I don't want to use your money. They'd had the money debate before, but she'd begun to wonder. Jesse worked as a crime reporter for the Inquirer. Maybe he had grown addicted to the action. Late nights, gangsters and their women, violence. It was the stuff of dime store novels and film noir, and he was in the middle of it. Did children fit into that world? Is it really about the money, she said, or something else? No, it's just I'm, I'm working hard. You work all the time. He pulled her close and gave her a gentle squeeze. The crime week doesn't have a weekend, he said. Nor a honeymoon, apparently. That part bugged her. He landed the job a week before they got married and couldn't get any time off. To celebrate the wedding, they took a train to New York for one night. Not the honeymoon she'd had in mind. I'll get the time off, he said. When? Soon. The next day was Sunday, her day off from the retail shop where she'd taken a job to have something to keep her busy. She didn't need the money. For the quarterly payments that John sent from Queensland continued to fatten her bank account. After Jessie left for the office, she took a streetcar to Fairmount Park and strolled down Kelly Drive along the Schuylkill River. The air was still and hot, and her skin felt sticky all over. She longed for an ocean breeze. Every week, she took excursions to explore the city and its suburbs. She'd ridden the commuter train to the mainline towns, Wynwood, Bryn Mawr, and Rosemont. When the snow had come her first winter, she'd explored the streets of Ardmore in amazement. She'd never seen so much white. The trees, the roofs, everything. Fresh powder crunched beneath her boots, and she could see her breath. America the Beautiful. Yes, Sections of the suburbs were beautiful, but she didn't care for living in the city. Jessie liked their apartment's proximity to restaurants and clubs, but he had agreed to move when they started a family. She liked Ardmore better. The homes were cozy and everyone had their own yard, with room for kids to play in the front and space for a garden in the back. Walking on the path next to Kelly Drive, 
she approached a young woman on a bench. A boy sat nestled to her side, and a baby stroller was at her knees. With her chin tucked to her chest, the woman held her face in her hands. Her shoulders shook, but she made no sound. The boy, perhaps three or four years old, swung his legs under the bench and then out toward the stroller as if he wished to kick it. The woman was pregnant. Normally a small person, her condition had transformed her appearance. Her belly was gargantuan. Her breasts were like large grapefruit and out of proportion with her skinny legs and small hands. She sniffled several times, wiped her face, and was horrified to discover Sheila watching her. Can I help you? said Sheila. You look like you could use an extra pair of hands. No, I'll, I'll be okay. The stroller smelled of poop, and Sheila guessed the nature of the final burden that had broke the woman's spirit. Do you have a fresh diaper? she asked. Yes, but darn it, she went right before we left the house. I thought we could make it to the playground and back, and I hate to change her out in the open. Is there a ladies' room at the playground? asked Sheila. The woman nodded. May I walk with you? My husband and I are planning a family, and I have little experience with children. Mommy, said the boy, she sounds weird. It's not weird. She has an accent. My name is Sheila Flynn, and I'm from Australia. His soft blue eyes soaked her in. What's your name? Sheila asked. Freddie Parker. The woman, whose name was Flossie, perked up immediately. Sheila had done little other than provide a distraction, but sometimes a tense situation will dissipate with the slightest jolt. While Sheila pushed the stroller, Flossie plodded along with her feet pointed outward, her hands to the sides, and her belly leading the way. They chatted about their experiences during the war and about their husbands. Flossie was 23. She had married at 19 and gone for a quick honeymoon the week before her husband shipped out to Europe. I get so tired, she said. I was up half the night with Abby. Now she's asleep and Freddie's raring to go. She rested her hand on the shelf of her belly. I don't know what I'll do when this baby comes. You'll manage. Mothers always manage. At the playground, Flossie changed Abby's diaper, and then they sat and watched Freddie play for an hour. On the way back, they ate ice cream bars. Freddie moved slower now and was quiet, ready for his afternoon nap. They made an appointment to meet at the park the next week and went their separate ways. On the streetcar ride back, she remembered what Flossie had said. I get so tired. Flossie could never hold down a job. Not with three little kids. Was Sheila prepared to sacrifice her ambition to have a family? Yes, perhaps. She thought so. But two kids might be enough. On the next Thursday, she came home from work, climbed the two flights of stairs to their apartment, and sat on the sofa with her eyes closed. She had only sold four pieces of jewelry all day. The job was killing her with boredom. Saturdays kept her busy with lots of traffic and transactions, but the middle of the week? Ugh. She had to find something else soon. A car horn honked on the street. Someone must have double parked, for the driver kept honking. 
A man yelled from a window, and the horn stopped. A siren sounded from several blocks away. She'd never get used to the noise. In Queensland, at certain times of the day, the only sounds she heard were the ones she made herself. Breathing, footsteps on the hardwood floor, the gears of a clock as she wound it. In Philly, the man-made sounds never stopped. Someone approached the door from the hallway. Before she could rise from the sofa, Jesse was inside, all movement, excited about something. He had come home early and brought beer, unusual for a Thursday. What's all the fuss, she said. A secret. He could never keep a secret. Like any reporter, he wanted to share news, particularly if it was a good story. He took three long strides, wrapped her in his arms, and kissed her. Aren't you curious, he said. Not in the least. Liar. You're dying to tell me, she said. I don't even have to ask. He tickled her side and she giggled. Stop it, she said, still laughing. She struggled to get loose, but he held her tight. Not until you ask about the secret. Okay, okay, (laughs) tell me. He smiled like a teenager who'd landed a date with the cutest girl in school. It's honeymoon time. I've got two weeks holiday starting on Monday. Honestly, she said, I booked us into the Congress Hall Hotel in Cape May. Cape May? The Jersey Shore. Ocean breezes, surf breaking on the sand, seafood. Cape May has it all. Finally, they would have a proper honeymoon after all. They would tackle the next challenge and the next. They would sort out family and home and ambition. It took hard work. Her mother had always told her, Marriage is hard work, Sheila. A lot of effort, but it's worth it. Can you get the time off, he asked. Absolutely. I'll quit if I have to. Okay. That's the end of the episode, Rittner Street, and we've covered a lot of ground. At the beginning of the story, Sheila is sitting in the kitchen of a house on Rittner Street. The kitchen is crowded with four couples, and the year is 1946. The couples are having a little party, and the kitchen is filled with smoke. Now, I got curious about Rittner Street, so I looked it up. It's located in South Philadelphia, in a densely populated residential area between the Delaware River to the east and the Schuylkill River to the west. A lot of the homes in that area are row houses, with each house connected to the one on the right and left. The homes are tall and narrow. Many of the homes have four stories and run front to back with a staircase on one side. Now, I I happen to know a little about the area of South Philly because my father grew up there and I have visited relatives in that area. In fact, many years ago, when I first got out of college, I lived in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is an outer suburb of Philadelphia. Once in a while, my second cousins in South Philly would invite me over for a party, and I can remember standing around a kitchen filled with people drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. This story brings that image very clearly to my mind. Now, during the story, 
When Sheila takes a walk in Fairmount Park, she meets the young mother, Flossie Parker, who has two young children with a third on the way. Just to give you a heads up, we will meet Flossie Parker again in future stories. In the next episode, we will hear the story Cape May, in which Sheila finally gets to visit an American beach. Now I'd like to take a moment to promote my writing, if I could. If you like the narrative style of these stories, you will enjoy reading the Joe Robbins novels. Next time you're on Amazon, enter the Joe Robbins series into the search bar. That's Robbins with two Bs. If you're looking for a different kind of fiction hero, check out Joe Robbins. Joe is a freelance finance executive who tracks down bad guys by sifting through numbers for the truth. As the stories unfold, Joe invariably gets involved in tense situations that call for him to draw on his background as an amateur boxer. The series has four books, each of which can be read on a standalone basis. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by Felix Bloom and Zapsblatt.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon. Bye now.